Oh God, we give you all the glory. We cannot live without you. And so we've come to this sacred place and space, hungry to be in your presence, eager to hear you engage our minds and address our hearts. We adore our Lord Jesus Christ. And in his name, we wait on you now. Amen. I was on a commuter flight out of San Francisco. Nighttime, the plane is just, the prop job is just lifted off of the uh, runway. As it climbed higher into that dark sky, I looked out the portal, shimmering sea of yellow, San Francisco by the bay. Wow. And I looked across for some reason, I just looked across the aisle. Had an empty seat beside me, and there's a little three-seater across, and so I see a, an older woman there, and she has, her, she has her hand on her chest like this. And I'm looking, because it's dim. I'm looking, and ah. So I look away, don't want to stare. I come back, and now she has her hand just pressed like this against her mouth, and I know what she's doing, she's crying. So I reach across the empty seat and across the aisle, and I, 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 I tap her on the arm, and I say, are you all right? She looks over at me, tears, shakes her head. My grandson was just killed earlier this evening. And I'm flying down to be with my daughter. Now I'm groping for words, and all, all I can say is, I am so sorry. She says he was, he, was, he was in an accident. He was playing with his friends today, and while he was running, he ran into a pole, and it killed him. My daughter called from the hospital. For the next few minutes, two strangers talk in the darkness across the aisle, this grandmother and I. We talked about life and death and the hope we have in Jesus. She, a Unitarian, and me, a Seventh-day Adventist. Before that plane landed, I looked out that same portal up into the California night sky, spangled with a thousand stars. And I said to myself and to God, there must be a billion more of your children on this planet just like this woman. It's no wonder you can't sleep at night. There's a two-word truth about God in the Bible that actually tells us why he can't sleep at night. I want to look at this with you. Those two words, they comprise a single verse. Turns out it's the shortest verse in all of Scripture. You may even know it. Open your Bible with me to the Gospel of John, please. The Gospel of John. John chapter 11. John 11, John 11, 35. See it there? Doesn't matter your translation, they all read the same. John 11, 35. Jesus wept. 
The Greek word here is the noun for tears turned into a verb. So it could be translated, Jesus burst into tears. And I want you to lock that portrait, that two-word portrait of your Savior in your mind for a moment, bursting into tears. The, the, the absolute pathos of that two-word portrayal, Jesus burst into tears. Brennan Manning, in his moving book, Lion and Lamb, describes his tears this way. I'll put the words on the screen for you. When Jesus wept, the ground of all being shook, the source of all life trembled, the heart of all love burst open, and the unfathomable depth of God's immense, inexhaustible caring revealed itself." End quote. William Blake, the, the great English poet and painter, in his moving poem on another sorrow, ends that poem with these two short stanzas. Put them on the screen as well. Think not thou canst sigh a sigh, and thy maker is not by. Think not thou canst weep a tear, and thy maker is not near. Oh, he gives to us his joy that our grief he may destroy till our grief is fled and gone. He doth sit by us and moan. Jesus wept. Two-word portrait. Lock it in your heart. In fact, I wish you'd scribble that two-word portrait down. I know you know the words, but let's get them on our, let's get them on our, our new study guide for this morning. Pull your study guide out of your worship bulletin. Ushers, thank you if we could do this very quickly. We want to keep moving here. If you didn't get a study guide, our friendly ushers are coming your way, and they will put a study guide in your hand. Keep your hand up, up in the balcony as well. And those of you who are watching on the screen right now, television, laptop, somewhere live streaming on earth, we're glad to have you. Let me give you our website. Well, you, if you have your laptop, you already know the website. Those of you on television, put the website on the screen, www.pmchurch.tv. Go to that website 24-7. If you're looking for a teaching today that's entitled, Don't Cry Alone. Three little, three, three teachings grouped together. All of them have to do with tears, and coincidentally, they're all the tears of Christ. So when you find Don't Cry Alone, and we'll wrap this next week together, but when you find Don't Cry Alone, just click on the study guide. You get the same study guide. All the quotes you'll have as well, and you want these quotes, I think. All right, so you have your study guide now. Everybody has it? Good. Let's, let's, that long line, fill it in, please. Jesus wept. So one line for those two word, that two-word portrayal of Almighty God in human flesh. Jesus wept. And then that Brendan Manning quote. This is just dynamite. Hang on to this quotation. You'll have to fill it in. When Jesus wept, the ground of all being shook, the source of all life trembled, the heart of all love burst open, and the unfathomable depth of God's immense, inexhaustible caring I love that word, caring. The caring of God revealed itself. Right in that word, caring. And then William Blake, the last two lines of his poem on another sorrow. Till our grief is fled and gone, he doth sit by us and moan. Every Bible I have on this page in John 11, I scribble these two, this two-line couplet, this, this couplet. Till our grief is fled and gone, he doth sit by us and moan. So why is Jesus crying here? 
I mean, we know why he was crying last week. We went to that one line last week. May, may I put the line back on the screen for you? Luke 19, verse 41. As he, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, Jesus wept over it. I mean, we're looking at this portrait last week, a one-line portrait, and we're seeing this God who in deep agony is weeping over lost people, boys and girls, grandchildren, grandparents, and everybody in between. He weeps. He weeps over lost people. But why is, he, why is he weeping in this picture? I'll tell you why. Because he's just lost a friend. That's why. A friend named Lazarus. He bursts into tears because standing beside him are the, are the two sisters of the deceased, and they are weeping. We're talking about Martha and Mary. Jesus can't contain the pain, and he cries. And by the way, don't mistake those tears. Adam Clark, the, the uh, long-ago commentator, I like the way he puts it. You have it in your study guide. You'll need to fill it in. He's right, isn't he? It is abolishing one of the finest traits in our Lord's human character to say that he wept and mourned here because of sin and its consequences. That's not why he's mourning. Keep reading. The affectionate, oh, I like that word, the affectionate soul of Christ was troubled, and he mingled his sacred tears with those of the afflicted relatives. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And in those two words, we are silent wit witnesses to the demolition of the ancient philosopher's notion of God's impassibility. What is impassibility? That's God's unmoving response to human emotion and suffering, inability of God to suffer himself. He cannot feel those emotions. That's what the ancient philosophers taught, his impassibility. God does not stoop to our pain. He doesn't stoop into our grief, not our suffering. Like a cold marble statue, he is imperviously removed from experiencing in himself our broken hearts. Rubbish. Two-word dismissal of that philosophical notion. In the words of A.M. Fairbarn, Theology has no falser idea than that of the impassibility of God. In fact, I really like this, and you have this. Uh, Clark Pinnock, in his provocative book, Most Moved Mover, joins in this dismissal of the notion of God's impassibility. Fill it in. Scripture speaks of the suffering of God. Scripture speaks of the suffering of God. God's heart can be close to breaking. Read Hosea 11 sometime. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I let you go? He's not play-acting. His heart is broken. Lost children. Keep reading Pinnock. God knows his people's condition, and he feels their pain. Exodus chapter 3, he looks down at the children of Israel in the wretched bondage of slavery, and his heart breaks. I'm coming to get you. Keep reading. God laments. I like that word. God laments and mourns over them. Even for Moab, God says, my heart cries out. My heart cries out. The issue for Christians is not whether God could suffer, but how God could not suffer. There it is. That is dynamite. It's not about could God suffer? How could he not? That's Pinnock's point. One more line from Pinnock. He would be less than God if he lacked sympathy or refused to share in the suffering of creatures. End quote. Jesus wept. Why does Jesus weep? Now we go to N.P. Wolderstorff's in his book, Lament for a Son. He gives the answer. God is love. God is love. We were with David Asher just a few days ago. Cleared the table of truth. Put a little bouquet in the middle of that table. One truth, supreme over all of the truth. God is love. This quotation begins with the same words. God is love. 
That's why he weeps. God is love. That is why he suffers. To love our suffering, sinful world is to suffer. God so suffered for the world that he gave up his only son to suffer. The one who does not see God's suffering does not see his love. God is suffering love. Write that in. God is that bouquet, the truth of this bouquet right here. God is suffering love. Now, here comes the provocative line. Hold on to your pew. Suffering is down at the center of things, deep down where the meaning is. Suffering is the meaning of our world, and here it is. The tears of God are the meaning of history. Isn't that good? The tears of God are the meaning of history. Our history on this planet, the tears of God are the meaning of history. Wow. Jesus wept. And his tears are the meaning of history, the divine history of suffering love. Hey, look, come on, guys, please. This is really not so difficult. This is not so difficult to understand, is it? I mean, please, isn't that the truth embedded in the life of parenthood? If you are a parent, you know. If you have parents, they know. I was taking my son, Kirk, to school here on campus one morning years ago. He must have been eight or nine at the time. Proud daddy now. Our daughter Kristen was just a baby. She was, she was strapped in the infant carrier on the front seat. That was back before they changed the rules. So we were sinning ignorantly. So she's strapped in. I'm driving a two-door Celica, Toyota Celica. So the only way Kirk can get out is for me to jump out. We, we drive up to Ruth Murdoch Elementary School. I jump out, and then you know the routine. you got to put the seat over and then slide it on the runners so that he can jump out. Kirk is so eager to get to school, he flies out of that back seat, forgetting that the driver's side seat belt is slung low along the floorboard. And as he flies out, his little foot catches that seat belt, and he goes airborne. You have those moments, don't you, where it's happening in front of you, but it is like super slow. There's just this, and you're wanting to move, but you're frozen. You, you, can't move an, you can't move a muscle. The lunch bucket hits the concrete, splats open, and right behind it comes Kirk, headlong into the pavement. And then he begins to scream. And the only thing I can think of is I have to get to this boy. I have to hold my son. And I tell you the truth, and this has happened a hundred times in my life, I tell you the truth, as he's weeping, the, his tears are in my eyes. I am weeping. That torn knee through his jeans, my knee is torn and I can feel the pain. That's how God made parents. God isn't trying to be like parents. Parents are trying to be like God. We are like Him, and that's why we behave the way we behave. Sobbing, I'm holding Him close. Jesus wept. He's doing His best to hold Him close. Their pain is his pain. I can prove this to you, by the way. Isaiah 63, verse 9. Put that verse on the screen. Fill it in, will you? In all their, in all their affliction, God was afflicted. Right in that, that key word. In all their affliction, God was afflicted. Jesus wept. He wept. Why? Because we weep, that's why. He suffers and weeps because we suffer and weep. In all our affliction, he is afflicted. God is not like parents. 
parents are like God. Jesus wept. I love the way Desire of Ages puts it. Scribble this down, will you? His tender, speaking of Jesus, his tender, pitying heart is ever awakened to sympathy by suffering. He weeps with those that weep. He weeps with those that weep. I received an anonymous letter. I have it right here. I'd like to get permission to read this letter, but I don't know who wrote it. I don't know if it's a, if it's a, if it's a, a man or a woman, a boy or a girl. I, I, don't know, I don't know what age the writer is. Let me read a line or two to you. Dear Pastor Nelson, sitting in the congregation today, I looked down at the bulletin and saw the ad for the new pulpit series this fall. For the past eight months, I have been drifting on a sea of apathy, fear, and self-discovery, all the while feeling like all I have to help steer me along is a broken paddle. One broken paddle does little to help you in the midst of a hurricane. I have sat in many church services waiting, hoping, praying for God to touch my heart for some small hope of renewal to hear him whisper to me that he is there and there will be happiness again. There is only silence. What is God's role in our lives? Is he the loving master that has a personal hand in turning over every leaf that is blown by the wind in our lives? Is he the helpless observer watching us from above as Satan has full reign on the earth, helping out as best he can whenever there is an opening? Is he the tender mother feeling our pains, longing to help us, wishing our pain could be hers instead? I have found no answer to these questions. I cannot believe that I am the only person to feel this way when tragedy and sorrow is so plentiful on this earth. Am I the only one who questions my faith? Who prays for answers but hears nothing in return? I pray that God will speak through you and give some hope, some reason to go on. I want to believe. I want to have faith. I want to be happy. Wow. The truth is, it is not enough for God to weep over our pain, our pathos, our suffering, our perplexity. I know the verse before us reads, Jesus wept, but the truth is we need God to weep his tears through someone else up close and real and warm. You know what I mean? Tears that you can touch, sympathy that you can embrace and feel. Which is why alongside John eleven thirty five, 35, we need to drop just one other line, one other line. The two have to balance each other. Galatians, go to the little book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. Go to Galatians, please. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Paul, picking it up. One line, just one line. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. I'm in the NIV here. Verse 2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Let's jot that down. It's right there in your study guide. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. What's that have to do, Dwight, with, with, with Jesus wept? Simply this. It is not enough to know that God suffers with us. Though he feels our pain, jot this down, though he feels our pain too often, we cannot sense his presence, and that's the problem. 
intellectually I embrace this okay okay he suffers with me that's not enough to know that I have to feel it and so here God calls for another someone to step into our lives or a small group of someone to come alongside us and bear for us the burden that weighs us down how did that anonymous letter writer put it the I have sat in many church services waiting, hoping, praying for God to touch my heart. I want to believe. I want to have faith. I want to be happy. But where is God? Or perhaps God is asking the question, where is the church? Where is the church when you suffer? Galatians 6, 2. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Or as Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 12, very similar to this, put it on the screen. If one, and you need to fill it in. And if one member suffers, how about the rest? How many? All the members suffer with it. Or if one member is, is honored, who rejoices? All. So we're having pastoral prayer in first service today. Thank you, Pastor Don. We're having congregational prayer coming to the front. I'm standing at the front. She comes, a widow. She's been a widow for eight days, nine days. She's coming to worship. She's coming to the God that was there when her husband unexpectedly died. She's there with a daughter. When one member suffers, all suffer. One rejoices, all celebrate. Carry each other's burdens, share each other's joys, weep with those who weep, laugh with those who laugh. By the way, I remind you, that's just, that was how Jesus was. Uh, a century and a half ago, came across these words just this last week. I want you to jot it down. This is a dynamite. I love this picture of Jesus. Look at this. A century and a half ago, Jesus did not shun the weak, unfortunate, and helpless, but he helped such as needed help. He did not confine his visits and labors to a class more intelligent and less faulty. You know, the, the challenge, look, come on, let's just talk. We're a university community here. The challenge for us in an academic community like this is we like hanging around our own, okay? So we like people to think deep thoughts. We like people that are a bit provocative. I mean, if you've got the, if, you know, you've got the learning, you and I will get along just fine. Don't ask us, however, don't ask us to connect with those who have no learning, illiteracy, is their badge. Well, that's just not my calling. I don't work with that group. I have been gifted to work with the gifted. If you can't work with that group, you're not working with the gifted either. Not very successfully anyway. Look at Jesus. The most brilliant mind, the highest IQ in the universe, humanly speaking. And what's this? How's this read? He did not confine his visits and labors to a class more intelligent and less faulty to the neglect of the unfortunate. He did not inquire whether it was agreeable for him to be a companion of the poorest and the most needy. I mean, if Benton Harbor is a, is a few steps away, then that's where he's going to be. You saw, that, uh, you saw that tape just a moment ago. These are the ones, now please jot this down. These are the ones whose company he, what's that word? Say that word out loud to me, please. What's that word? Okay, tell me, help me out, because that's an old word. What does sought mean? What does, what does sought mean? They searched. He looked for. He went seeking for them. 
He went out of his way to find the disenfranchised, the alienated, and the marginalized. He went out of his way to find them. Why? Because they're the most needy of all. Guys that have everything don't need, don't need a thing. Please, I mean, I'm fine. You see my house? What more do I need? I got it all. There, these are the ones whose company he sought, the lost sheep of the house of Israel, proactively seeking them out that he might care, that he might weep with them and laugh with them and be with them. But look at guys, if we're always in our little glass cubicles that are locked up when we come to worship in this sanctuary on the Sabbath, there clearly is not going to be a whole lot of caring and sharing going around in this place on Sabbath mornings. I mean, how do glass cubicles communicate to each other? Ding, 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 ding. Everyone is here now, everyone here now, I can't come out, everyone here now. How do closed glass cubicles communicate? They don't. There has to be a space. There has to be a place among us to emerge, our, to emerge from our cubicles and to have actual human contact with each other. We can set something like that up. And there is a mechanism that, in fact, has been set up for that very reason. They're called grow groups. Grow groups. Now, look, I can't answer for the grow group you're in, but I can only tell you about the two that I've been in. We've only been running this thing for a couple of semesters now. The two that I've been in, I have been absolutely amazed at how in this setting of 10 to 12, 10 to 20, strangers, I mean, they're all strangers. When they sit in that first circle, nobody knows anybody. And you're only in there for 10 weeks, so it's not like I have to get to know you real well. But I have been amazed both times, both semesters, to watch as this group, almost on its own, and I'm thinking, no, man, this, this, has, this has to be the Spirit of Jesus somehow moving through this very human dynamic. I have been amazed. No, no cue from the leader like, okay, guys, let's uh, spill our guts now. None of that. We're just having shared interest, so we're all there for that interest. I have been amazed at what God does in that setting. I mean, look, the groups are all the same. The, the, we have 50 different groups going right now, and you can have any interest that you want. You can be in that group. But they all have the same DNA, focused on the same interest, going to spend some time in prayer, going to spend some time in the Word, going to spend some time socializing. So that's what it is. In any grow group you go in, that's what will happen. But what's amazing, and I've watched this twice now, is how the Spirit comes into that dynamic and starts moving. I mean, guys, let me just tell you. So the last two Tuesday nights, because my groups always meet on Tuesday nights, so the last two Tuesday nights, I'm saying to myself, can you believe the prayer requests that are being shared here? I mean, we don't even know each other well. But there was just, I got half students and half community, so I got a big group and you know, there's interaction, but I am amazed. Hey, I want you to pray for, and then, wow, you're, you're bringing that up here? Amazing. What's happening? It's the, it's the dynamic of strangers who saying, I kind of like you. And I, we have people to show up with, a, with a two plates of chocolate chip cookies, and that'll loosen your tongue anytime. So just keep coming with those chocolate chip cookies. One of our, our uh, team members came up this week with, oh, wow. It's amazing how in a setting of people like that, suddenly the Spirit is activating. We've appointed uh, Jessica as our, uh, our prayer leader. By that, she just writes the prayer request down. So every night we end with prayer requests. Everybody writes the prayer request. She writes the prayer request down, and then we pray over them. And then the next week, she's, I say, okay, Jessica, pull that little prayer book out. She pulls a prayer book out. How are we doing on answers? Now, here is what has stunned me. 
the way God answers the prayers of a circle of strangers who are just getting to know each other. I am telling you what, there is power in group prayer. You don't have to know the people in that circle. But if they pray for you, something, something happens. We've been celebrating answers. I'm telling you, if you heard their prayer requests, you would say, wow. I wish the person that wrote me this letter, the anonymous writer, I wish that person could be in a grow group. You can't get it in here. You can't get it. We have majestic music. We have, we have great worship, but we don't have, you know, come on. I mean, there's no real interaction. We, afterwards, we chit-chat a little. I wish the, uh, the anonymous writer could be in a grow group. Ten weeks, you move on. But something happens. Uh, if you're not in a grow group right now, it's too late this semester. But next semester, next, right after the holidays, sign up. I urge you, come on, take a try. See if it doesn't minister to your own heart. What, how did Paul put it here? Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Just like Jesus. Because that's the whole point of grow groups, to be like Jesus. They're about it's the discipleship delivery system now in this congregation. It's to become like Jesus. We're just real average people. Speaking of myself, of course. But we come together. The Spirit says, I can do that. I can teach you about Jesus through each other. Amazing. Frederick Buechner, my almost all-time favorite author. He's up in his 80s now. What a writer. He's written a series of memoirs, different titles for them. The one that uh, I'm going to quote from now is his memoir, Longing for Home. He's a New England writer in which he poignantly observes. I'll put Beekner's words on the, on the screen for you. Sometimes, and he, he's very transparent, he shares his spiritual struggles, but sometimes, by the grace of God, I have it in me to be Christ to other people. Would you write that down, please? I have it in me to be Christ. To other people. And so, of course, have we all the life-giving, life-saving, and healing power to be saints, to be Christ, plural. Put the S on there. We can all be Christ's, to be Christ's, maybe at rare moments even to ourselves, to be Christ to someone else. Jesus wept. And when he wept on that cross, his tears purchased our salvation. And when we come to the Savior and embrace His gift and Him, then we follow the Master. And His tears become our tears. And we weep. You may meet the anonymous writer today. Here's the deal. I wish you would be Christ to her. I don't know if it's a she. I wish today when you leave or this next week, you would be Christ to Him. Be Christ to somebody. Live out the carrying, carrying love of the Lord Jesus. Grab your Connect card, please. Guess we're delighted to have you join us. We, we, we always come to this moment, and our ushers are now moving to place. We always come to this moment 
and we say, you know what, I don't want to go home and have dinner today and not have made some kind of decision to take the next step. And so guests, please, you'll see all the members putting it in. You join with us. Guests on the front, uh, front of the card, if you put your name, please put your email address if you would like some material that will be offered on these next steps coming up. So put an email address there, uh, you know, first time, second time. Look, if you're here for, for the fourth time and you're a guest, you're a member. We just, we just adopted you. You're in. Of course, that's nothing official, but we just want you to feel a part of us. So we're glad you're here. Turn the card over because this is our next step side of the card. There are four suggested next steps today. My next step today is one, to carry the burden of someone in need this next week. So we read that quotation, Jesus sought those who were in need. I want to be like Jesus this next week. I want to look for somebody in the dorm. When I'm in the cafeteria and there's somebody eating all alone, I'm going to sit down and say, hey, listen, can I, can I share this meal with you? I'm going to look for somebody to be Christ too. I want to be Christ on the job. In Walmart, if there's somebody I can be Christ to, I want to be. Put a check mark there. Number two, my next step today is to volunteer at Harbor of Hope, our inner, our inner city church. I tell you what, we'd love to have you at Harbor of Hope. You have full permission. We all bless you. If you say, I'm not sitting in these wooden pews anymore, I'm going up to the inner city 12 miles away, and I'm going to live out Christ's love in that city. God will go with you. We have a dynamic young a pastor, he'd be up front with us because he's on our staff, is Taurus Montgomery. Early 30s, sharp leader. If you put your email address, you put a check mark here in your email address, Taurus will be in touch with you. How you can be. You're not signing your life away, but make yourself available. Box number three, my next step today is to inquire about joining a grow group next semester. If you want to be a part of this, wow, how do you do it, God, uh, kind of group experience, put a check mark there. Come next Come after the holidays, we'll send you an email saying, hey, by the way, this is time, sign-up time. And box number four, I would like to inquire about becoming a grow group leader next semester. We'd love to have you. Any interest you're interested in, trust me, there'll be 15 to 20 other people who will share the same interest. They'll sign up. Would you be willing to be a leader? We'll give you a couple hours of training. It's, it's, it's not rocket science. You just be you, and the Spirit will minister. If you'd be interested, and this isn't saying, oh, I will, but I'm interested, put a check mark there. We'll be in touch with you. Email. And let you know how easy it is to become a leader of a grow group. The point is, we're watching Jesus, and our decision today is, I want to be like Jesus in a proactive way next week for the rest of the journey. Let's pray together. Let's ask God to take our, our humble little check marks and lock them in our hearts. Dear Father, that two-word portrait is, a, is you, a heart that breaks with those who weep, a heart that laughs with those who rejoice. You didn't become like us. We are like you. And so we want the heart of our Lord Jesus. We want to carry each other's burdens. We want to fulfill the law of Christ. Grant us his heart, we humbly pray. Grow his heart as disciples of the Master. We pray in his name. Amen. Hi, I'd like to take a moment to ask for your help. Currently, Pioneer is recording the programs at this website on 15-year-old analog cameras. Over the years, as the television standards have changed, we've adapted our cameras to the new standards. However, we're at the point now of no longer being able to cobble these cameras together. The reason? Because of the television industry's shift to high definition.
As you can see, this camera is actually using parts from two separate cameras. In fact, we have some camera operators now who are younger than these cameras. The new high definition standard, or HD, is four times the resolution of our current cameras and employs the industry standard widescreen format. The sensors in these cameras are just not capable of producing that level of picture quality. New cameras are a huge investment for our small ministry, but we feel it's something that needs to be done as some of our major broadcast partners are now planning to shift to this standard. So I'm asking if you'd be willing to help. If the Spirit puts it on your heart, would you be willing to give some extra support to this ministry? Through your gifts, multiplied, I believe, exponentially by God's power, we can reach this end-time generation. So look, the process is simple. Just click on the link there on the website that says, Make a Donation. You can give a single gift, or if you'd like to support us long-term, you can make that gift happen each month. If you'd rather speak with someone instead of using this uh, website, that's fine. Call our friendly operators. Toll-free number, let me put it on the screen here, 877, and the, t the two words, His Will. 877-HIS-WILL. And by the way, not a single dollar donated to this ministry or this project goes to me. Your gift will go straight to our mission. Thank you for your support. And as always, I hope I'll see you back here again at this site.